Welcome to another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com. I'm Pete Sampson with our regular crew, Tim Priester and Tim O'Malley. Um, some news to recap in segment one. We're going to work up some recruiting information into segment one as well after five key official visitors in addition to three commitments visiting last weekend. Um, hoops played over the weekend as good as maybe they've looked all year uh, in just demolishing Syracuse. Staff formally done for them for now, as we've sort of been, I think, a couple weeks ahead on all that stuff. Uh, and then Justin Brent's departure as a transfer, not a huge surprise there. But um, before we get into football, why don't we knock out hoops first? Because we were all three of us were there on Saturday, and tomorrow night, Virginia comes to town. That is a team that's had Mike Bray's number. Well, Tony Bennett has had Mike Bray's number as much as Virginia has. Um, but Notre Dame continues to, I think, overachieve. As someone is interacting with on Twitter, uh, as I, I referenced O'Malley's Key 3 and his, some really good insight on Matt Farrell there, I said, like, Matt Farrell to me is, like, confusingly great. Like, I still don't quite understand how that's happening, but it's something is definitely happening. The thing that's confusing for me, and this we could go on forever about this, is how that kid couldn't get five minutes until the NCAA tournament last year because if you're this good this isn't all confidence man I mean he goes by everybody <laughs> and it's a great thing it's it's water under the bridge but I understand that he was frustrated last year because he's too good of a player to not have played at all he's yeah. one of the best players in, in the ACC yeah I mean he's pretty he's probably going to be an all ACC choice not not first team but he's going he's certainly going to be mentioned and yeah, I think you make a good point. Freshman year, you understood yeah, why he wouldn't play. But last year, you know, I think the thing that Mike Bray always said about him was that, you know, his turnovers and his decision-making in practice. Uh, this is a kid that, I mean, he exudes so much confidence. And yet, confidence was an issue for him, I think, last year. Not getting regular minutes. He didn't feel like he could get into a flow. But, I mean, as much as V.J. Beecham dominated the game the other day with his three-pointers and his 30 points, and uh, Bonzi Colson had 14 points, 14 rebounds, and he was just, he, you know, I mean, he was spectacular. But the things that Farrell did for them offensively and the way he facilitated everybody around him, yeah, I mean, I, you know, he had 15 points and nine assists. I think he had one, I think he just had one turnover. Um, you know, in his own way, he dominates the game on the offensive end just because the tempo of everything they do is in his hands. And the way they, I want to talk a little bit about how they took the zone apart, going back to our old uh, uh, high school days and a little bit of my coaching. That was absolute textbook zone offense. Yeah, the, getting the ball below the free throw line, but also driving a zone. It's not impossible to drive a zone. You're allowed to do it. Sometimes teams just stand there and don't. Um, going back to Farrell. Nine assists, six on three-pointers, and the other three are layups or dunks. Uh, all nine were three-pointers, dunks, or layups. How many of the six three-pointers were Beecham's? Four Probably to Beecham, four yeah. Beecham's. And the interesting thing is just like the whole team shares the ball. Farrell hit three threes, and they were all assisted from other players. Or two of the three were assisted from Rex Fluger, actually. It's, they assist everything. They do. It's, <laughs> it's, it's impressive. Um, we should add that Syracuse, we were all kind of sitting there saying, this is not Syracuse's typical zone. There's something different about it. And Bonzi Colson said players. afterwards... Bonzi Colson said afterward they're not as long. They're because not, you could just feel they weren't long. as long. But I still think that Nordin runs their zone offense so efficiently um, that I still think that they would have had success, not that much success, right, but success right. against a better Syracuse team. It's a bad Syracuse team. I mean, they're inexperienced. they got some transfers. 
There's no flow. They're bad offensively. It's weird, actually, to watch them but, play. But, you know, I was talking to the players and we talked to Bray in the, in the days leading up to Syracuse. And, you know, typical zone offense, you want to get high post touches. You want to get short corner touches. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when and I'm older than you, but when you played high school basketball, there wasn't a lot of talk about uh, about setting screens with, against a zone defense. We just got the three-point line, so we did. You didn't have the three-point line. That's right. probably why. You right. set him for right. getting open shots. But that, but that yeah. is part of their weaponry, it's, too. It's and also, you know, ball fakes against the zone. Ball fakes make, I had this said to me by a wise uh, basketball coach, ball, folks, ball fakes make defenses move when they don't want to move. You know, they don't want to give up that little bit of space within the zone and sway this way or this way. So I thought it was it, it was brilliant. And they missed – Notre Dame has a habit of making a bunch of their three-pointers in the first half and then tailing off in the second. If they had shot as well in the second as they did in the first, they would have had – they would have – they would have approached 100 points. Yeah, and the interesting thing, the way their offense is clicking, now they get their kryptonite to date which has been Virginia's defense. Virginia's just the pack line defense, they call it. Tony Bennett, the, the coaching, they, they don't allow threes and layups. So you have to hit, which is an interesting approach to basketball. No, but they, they dissuade the three in the layup. You have to hit mid-range shots. I think that's good because V.J. Beecham and Matt Farrell and Bonzi Colson are all now adept at mid-range shots. Beecham actually mentioned Virginia. He said, you know, I had to start looking for something besides threes. He did hit three, like, pull-up jump shots in this game, yeah. even though he had six triples. Well, the level of defense Tuesday night is all, almost the polar opposite <laughs> yes. of what they faced not, on like Saturday. Not even the same it's sport. Not the same sport. It's not, it's Although, I mean, I don't know yeah. how much exactly Virginia uses zone. I don't think they, they don't, probably but don't use any. But They're sixth-ranked, according to KenPom.com, which does a great job with metrics. They're the sixth-ranked. Uh, not only he has been as the sixth-ranked team, which I find interesting, but the sixth-ranked defense, and probably the, the biggest issue trying to beat them, coupled with the 18th-ranked offense. I mean, Notre Dame only has 9th-ranked offense. Just a good They're just a very good program. And they have lost, just like Notre Dame, though. You you won't recognize everyone if you're a Notre Dame fan. Like, you, you last couple years of Virginia, you're like, that guy's still well, there? You, uh, They've Malcolm gone through. Brogdon's not there, and <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that, the that's huge. It's interesting looking at the ACC uh, release from this week. You look at all the top-rated players scoring – Every statistical category, you can't find a Virginia player yes. in there because that—I mean—they just don't. And, and, and with a guy like Brogdon gone, they don't have—they don't have a particular high score, score, I guess, except for Parentes, and he's not averaging a whole bunch either. To wrap up hoops, to get back to O'Malley's question, how could Matt Farrell not get on the court the last years? This is still Matt Farrell, who was a two-star recruit with one ACC offer, so. He's he's both guys. He's turned into this guy, but he turned into this guy in the last ten months. Um, and I think that look, this is why we love college sports because you just don't really know. Well, it's would, fun to watch guys grow up. We yeah. get we get to see that happen. Uh, and to Matt Farrell's another Mike Bray example of he was not a spectacular. Product, he was a spectacular high school player, but he's five foot nothing, a hundred nothing. Yeah. I mean, but that's he, like he's. He was a spectacular high school player who had offers from Notre Dame, Fordham, Monmouth, no, Providence, I get it. Rutgers, and St. Joe's. No, I get it. I, I, mean, I, I get it. Uh, I think he always had that in him. But, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think he's a very determined young man, and he's a product of the Mike Bray system. Yeah, yeah. so that's why it's fun to watch. Interesting transition to Justin Brent real quickly because he <laughs> departed. He was a four-star prospect, top 100 out of high school. Tim and I, Priester and I, saw him in Chicago at the Rivals Five-Star Challenge. Loved him, seemed like a mature guy. 
and it never happened for him here. So he's out after three years. The only statistics really recorded are nine games played as a freshman wide receiver. Never saw the field as a running back in any capacity. The last two years has been injured as well. Obviously some off-field stuff. And it's, I mean, it's interesting. We're before the show, we're looking at you know sort of scouts rankings for that 2014 class, which was pretty good. You know, current seniors, right? Yeah, now. current the rising senior class. Um, he was the third best guy in the class, and I really wouldn't have argued that point no. at the time because I, I thought that guy was going to be a hit for sure. Yeah, it was so it's Morgan, Quentin Nelson, and then Brent. Um, Obviously, Deshaun Kaiser ended up being the best player from this class, and there's some really good. Uh, you know, Niles Morgan has, has right. another year left. Graham right. Martini, Graham Martini was a four star on scout, but he wasn't in the top 300. He's obviously a good college player. Alex Bars, um, they got to get some hits because they've also had some transfers. Like it's interesting that we used to talk about Corey Holmes and Justin Brent in tandem for for a couple of years. Then when, finally, when Corey Holmes broke out, they both transferred in the same yeah. offseason, so they're both gone. They're uh, two wide tandem, two wide receivers are gone. You know, people look back and, and talk about Brent off the field. If he had been a very good player, that would be kind of more of a joking, forgotten thing. Now, what we saw from him on the field, unfortunately, was we were down at Arizona State in that bad loss when Notre Dame was still, you know, on the fringe of the national title hunt there, which <coughs> kind of seems remarkable from what happened thereafter in November. The game was over for all intents and purposes, but Justin Brent is on kickoff return. And we are down the sidelines under five minutes left, and there's ten guys out on kick return. Justin Brent's the 11th, has his helmet off, has his towel over his head. He gets scre- dressed down, screamed at by Sheldon Day to get a- get out of the field. Runs out there without his helmet. But he is still wearing his towel. Day yells at him. He throws his towel back, still doesn't have his helmet. The helmet came to him, rocketed. This is probably the best pass of the day for a Notre Dame player on that very rough day for Everett Golson. And that kind of gives you the thought process of not being totally dialed into what you're doing. Well, this is a great example of... And I'm not saying he's not a good kid, but I mean, you know, you 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 make first impressions, and, and as Pete said, we were at Soldier Field, and because of the setup of the, of the uh, event, the media could actually be on the field. I mean, you're interacting with the players while they're playing, and uh, or or you know, I mean, participating during the week in the in the various drills, and I mean, I thought he was engaging. I thought he was bright and intelligent, and you knew he was very talented. So you thought. Wow, what a great kid! What a great talent! This is a guy that's going to really stand out for Notre Dame. <coughs> you only get glimpses, um, you know, the off the field stuff. Whatever, I don't know. I don't know about that, or don't have a comment about that. But um, when it comes to in game stuff, like you just mentioned, yeah. Tim, there's just there's no excuse for that, and that's a guy that isn't focused. Yeah. Well, in terms of the staff, pretty much formally done now, except for the tenth assistant coach, which. Again, I think for the fourth straight podcast, we're going to tell you will be Tommy Reese. Um, but Delvon Alexander officially introduced last week. Matt Bayless officially introduced last week to strength and conditioning. Obviously, both have been working. Alexander has been out on the recruiting trail already. Um, went to see Matt Kippenhammer over in Fort Wayne. I think that was really one of his first, first visits. Um, you know, I think this staff overall, I think wait and see is really the only – rational, reasonable, and responsible right. <laughs> approach to take. I know people want to say, like, is, are they better? Are they worse? I mean, Yeah, I wrote start, a story about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could say, are they younger? You know, here's some things to look at. Um, but there, while there are certainly questions to ask and angles to look into, we just, we're just going to sort of wait and see on this. 
Yeah, I mean, I did. We, I think we talked about this last week. Yeah. I mean, I think the coordinators. I think we all just, you know, I mean, Mike Elko. Mike Elko's an upgrade, certainly. He's sure. done a lot with a little. Uh, Polian. Polian is. I mean, I think Polian's going to do a, a really nice job as, as special teams coordinator. I know he'll attack it because that's his personality. And then, you know, Chip Long offers you a variation from the Brian Kelly method. Uh, not to say that that's better than Mike Denbrock, but I think. We all kind of agreed that the offense needed some fresh ideas, and Chip Long will certainly provide that. Yeah, yeah and that you're right. If at that position, I would still wait and see. I want to make sure Chip Long is providing it for 12 games, not for three at one and two or something along those lines. If yeah. you can really settle in and have him provide, yeah. augment Kelly's offense, it'll be a good offense. And they can. I'm going to bang this drum for nine months. This is the most important September. In a long time, yeah. day, man. Since last September. <laughs> last September. No, I mean, you, you could have gone two and two last September, and it wouldn't have been, let's fire the head coach. You know, this is, <laughs> you yeah. have to have a good Maybe September. I will say. And I wrote it, and I, I mean, I, I think Keith Gilmore is a very good defensive line coach. And, I, and I, to me, that's one of the losses. Well, that is the loss, the most important loss, I think, in this class. And a lot of that had to do with the, you know, Mike Elson and what he means to the program and Brian Kelly's loyalty to him. And I'm not saying that Mike Elson isn't a good football coach. I just think that Keith Gilmore is a really good defensive line coach, and I think that's a loss for Notre Dame. I guess we got to start looking at it as is long part of the Reese replacement for Sanford, too, because it is going to be a communal yes. effort there. You know, you can't just say Sanford is that much better than Reese. Because Long's going to obviously be heavily involved with the, with the uh, whole offense. And, I, so. and I, now that you say that in my story, I guess I didn't actually account for that. I tried to conjure up all the various sure, scenarios sure. and, and imp- impacts that the new coaches and the loss of coaches would have on the team. But, yeah, I think that's absolutely right, well, too. Well, don't you think, Pete, we, we've been mentioning, I mean, people talk a lot about Alizé Jones coming back and, and, and the, with Smythe and Wisher and the tight ends having such a poor year last year, uh, Jones not being in the fray, that Chip Long being a tight ends coach, Tim and Pete, is a pretty big deal for oh, this yeah. offense. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean it's, and it is really one of the, I think, upgrades on paper that we haven't really talked about a whole lot. I mean, I know Tim's written about it a little bit more, but like they're going to have a much better tight ends coach next year. Forget, forget the offense and forget the play calling and the pace. Just the instruction the tight ends are getting next year will be improved from Long, from Booker. I mean, that that's – and it's a position that is in some ways going to be loaded. Um, I mean, it should be as good as it's been in, what, since the Nicholas-Koyak combination year yeah. in 2013? Well, plus they're going to – I mean, collectively, they're going to get a hell of a lot more playing time at Chip Long's offense because of his penchant for using multiple tight ends. So – you know, I, you know, we would see more than one of them on a field at a time. You're going to see two frequently and sometimes three. Yeah, I mean, I, I, you'd like to think, and I prefer this just as a football fan, like the two tight end set being more of a base than a yeah. changeup. Um, you know, I, we'll, we'll see because let's be was the slot receiver all that productive last year? I didn't think that position offered a ton. I've already um, moved it real fast. I didn't slot in my lineups. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, that's, wouldn't you rather see Alizé no. Jones play that position than C.J. Sanders? I would. Fink kind of emerged at the end of the year. But, I mean, I guess would you rather see Durham Smythe and, and Alizé Jones yes. on the field? Yes, yes, yes I would. Yeah. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait for you to finish the question. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, you know, I think the instruction will be better. And the utilization of the tight yeah. ends will be more yeah. uh, more extensive. They're, they have some nice material to work with there. And on the topic of material, they had five key official visitors in last weekend to run them down. Evans Field safety, 
Trey Norwood cornerback. Russ East athlete, uh, but Notre Dame likes him at corner. Jordan Genmar-Keith, safety, and Kofi Wardlow at defensive end. Uh, talking to some sources over the weekend, they expect to get probably at least a couple of these guys closed out this week. Um, so they felt really good about how last weekend went. I was told no no real negatives, no red flags. Um, something to keep in mind for people who want commits right away. With the exception of Yeast, the other four guys were seeing Notre Dame for the very first time. With a new staff, no real relationships beyond maybe an in-home visit last week or a school visit last week. So uh, I, I don't think Notre Dame went into that thinking they were going to come away with an immediate commitment. And let's be honest, signing days a week and a half away. So there's not really much difference between getting them on... January 23rd or February 1st. After spending my, basically, a jacket account for this, basically my entire Sunday afternoon looking at high school film, um, I am, I'm not saying they're wrong by any means because they certainly have more access and more knowledge of this, but I am fascinated that they want to play Russ Yeast at corner. Do, I, have you seen this guy offensively? Yeah, <laughs> I've only seen him offensively. I, 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 there, there's, there, there's footage out there also defensively, and he's instinctual. And I, he'll probably be a hell of a quarterback too if he comes to Notre Dame, and that's where they play him. But man, I think this guy is really dynamic offensively. And personally, I'd give him a look on the offensive side of the ball. I'm just interested in all the guys trying to get moved to corner of the golden age of Notre Dame recruiting a corner from last year. It's, this is the yeah. one. This is the one class you don't need to move guys to corner unless they're. I mean, you need two corners, as Pete has mentioned many times. But there's a lot of good looking corner at Notre Dame that's young right now. And I know, mm-hmm. I, and I actually, I respect on the message board. A lot of people are saying we got to stop talking about Sean Crawford as one of them because we do have to have him come back first and play some football without him. You still have the hell. We're two. asked to speculate about everything else. Why wouldn't we speculate about a guy that we've yeah. seen? I keep throwing him in as the top guy, but I don't think he's going to be the top guy August first. Obviously, after this yeah. coming in, so yeah. okay. But you have two years of Nick Watkins, three or four years of Sean Crawford, and three years of Pride Von Love. So you you do just need two quality corners this class, and you can move on. I don't think you need to be switching athletes, as Tim said, to corner because. You got you have guys there. Yeah, we'll see. It's you know if they get Trey Norwood uh, out of Arkansas, which they think that they will, then I think that they could you could ar- you could easily argue we're going to be fine here. Bring in yeast if he, you get to a point where Norwood looks good in camp. Try him on offense, um, but you have four years to figure that out. Certainly, there's precedent for guys switching sides of the ball and it working out pretty well. Um, Russ Yeast ultimately could be one of those guys. So it's, um, you know, people always you know want to know what position a guy's going to develop in if he's an athlete. Well, ultimately, maybe two or three positions. James Onoelu played three positions before he was done at Notre Dame. So, I but I agree with Priester that you watch Russ Yeast's offensive film, and you're like, hmm, that looks really good. Uh, I would, I I would sign, I would a, sign up for that. He's not 160. Five pounder. No. He's a 180, 185 pounder. I know he's kind of built low to the ground, but I really like him. But I, the guy that I, I mean, certainly he jumped out at me. And Jalen Harris is. I know he's not among the the five that you mentioned, Pete, but he's an Arizona commit. Um, he was in town, or did you? No, next him? week. Okay, next he was week. At Washington I'm sorry. Last weekend. Okay, uh, and then I think I'm looking at my story, and I made a mistake as to mm-hmm. when he's coming in. But um, you know, really good a guy that's. He's listed as an athlete, but an off-the-edge rusher who I think has a lot of potential. The guy that, I mean, another guy that really jumped out at me. And I guess my point of all this is that 
look, I know Notre Dame took some big hits down the stretch at cornerback in particular. And now you're scrambling and you're trying to make up ground. But if they can get a cross-section of the 11 guys, especially the first, you know, four at the top that I wrote about yesterday, man, I think you can do, you can go a long way towards bridging the gap from what you lost down the stretch. Yeah, I t- and I'm totally agreed. We'll get into sort of rankings and just sort of how this class will, will shake out in the end in segment two. But I... And I've been saying this on our message board for quite a while. If you could give me one of the defensive ends, whether it be Harris or Wardlow, I'd prefer Harris. Harris. (laughs) And then you can give me Trey Norwood. And you can give me one safety type. Owusu. Man, Um, I love that kid. That would be fine. And then you can give me Russ Yeast and Jafar Armstrong. Okay. Or and, and maybe Hippenhammer. You know, one of those two. Yeah, I would be I would be fine with them at twenty if it's two receivers, two DBs, and a guy in the front seven. Armstrong's a real an interesting candidate because he does not look like a wide receiver. He's built like a tight end, but he doesn't have the height of a tight end. So he's kind of a guy. You know, you don't know exactly what position, but could be a safety. But could be a safety. But I mean, wide receiver is what he's adept at. And it, although he has not, he hasn't visited, correct? But no, but I, expect, they, I expect fully him expect him to be on campus this weekend uh, as an official visitor. And I would say of all the guys on the board, the one I'm most confident they'll get is actually Jafar Armstrong. Okay. So, okay. Oliver Martin, probably not at this stage. Yeah. Evan Fields, I, I like his presence on the field. You mentioned Trey Norwood. He's small. You know, he needs to get a lot stronger. He's kind of Troy Pride-ish. Mm, that's uh, good comparison. You know, size-wise, Wardlow, I think, has a lot of potential, but he's just kind of scratching the surface of everything. And, um, you know, Hip and Hammer's pretty small, too. There's some small guys on this list, uh, but there's some good players. And if they can, it sounds like this coaching staff is really, really working their recruiting trail here down the stretch, which obviously they need to do. They got a chance to salvage this. Yeah, and it's a, I think a couple hyphenated names to mention: Jeremiah Wusu uh, Karamoa, and then Myron Tagaviola Mosa. Expect those guys to visit this week. Um, Wusu, a Virginia commitment, uh, super high academic kid. I would be not surprised at all if he ends up in this class again. Safety linebacker. It's a position they want to fill. I I like his film a lot. He's um, good. I don't quite get why he's committed to Virginia and a three-star well, prospect. Why he's a th- I, I, well, that's what I wrote. To list his kids as a three-star <laughs> prospect is outrageous. Yeah. I, 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 football instincts. I mean, he's around the football. He he controls the football field that he's on. It's high school, but he ran the show on the well, football most field. Most guys don't do that on. in high school. So no. there's nothing wrong with that. No. Yeah. And uh, take a bio, uh, Mosa, I he was probably going to end up at USC. Um, that's unfortunate. That's that what, kid's come a long way. Yeah, when, that's what Notre Dame expects. They just don't have the relationships built up with a kid from Hawaii to like get him on campus because it's he's taking three official visits this week: um, Navy, <laughs> Notre Dame, and Vanderbilt. That's like when you guys are looking for houses and you see like <laughs> ten houses in a day. You're like, I don't remember any of this. Like that's. I think his mind's just going to have exploded by this week, and ultimately he'll fall back on where am I most comfortable. Place where I have the best relationships. That's going to be USC. Unless they can put him in nice contact player. with uh, Manti Teo. Yeah, he's certainly aware of Manti Teo. I mean, he uh, name checked him in an interview without being prompted. Like, hey, what do you know about Notre Dame? It's just like I know Manti Teo. He was awesome, you know. And it was uh, if he can make it there, that gives me confidence that 
know, somebody like me, I can go out there and, and yeah. do it too. That's a so. kid that's listed as a defensive end, but he clearly He's a tackle for Notre Dame for sure. technique and would be really, no really question. good. Well, I guess on that, Notre Dame, there are 15 commits now. Really good chance, in my opinion, to finish at 20. Won't be Brian Kelly's best class by, you know, even really by a long shot, but I think it could ultimately fill the needs that they need uh, with this class and coming off 4-8. That's kind of what you can expect. So that's it for segment one on Irish Illustrated Insider. Coming back to segment two, we've got questions more about recruiting, about some guys we think might break through next season, and also sort of the uh, dynamics of flip-flopping over the years under Brian Kelly with commits too. So all that next Irish Illustrated Insider. Burning up the boards is segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider, and we start with a question from JPF505. Pete, you've mentioned the season falling apart obviously really hurt this class, but while the staff was in position, did Brian Kelly do enough to keep the class together? Should he have done more? Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, i got to add the what would Urban what Meyer would Urban, do? What would Urban Meyer have? Urban would have closed, right? Well, he wouldn't have had a 4-8 and eight record, which yeah. I think ultimately is what killed the class more than anything. This sort of um, trends into a Twitter question that we got to about, like, what do you think impacted the class the most? And I think 4-8 was a killer. I mean, you look at I, – I went back over the last three recruiting cycles – how many teams finished with a top 20 class with a losing record? Four teams did. Uh, so that's a pretty small group. It's And Texas was two of them, which I think is a, a unique animal unto itself just because it's still Texas. And while Notre Dame has a great brand, too, it does not have the state of Texas where it is located. First um, recruiting, but it has the brand, but not the, not the recruiting right. ground. Yeah, one, so it's Texas, Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. Um, those were the three pro, or four, well, three programs, four instances of teams that finished with a top 20 class with a losing record. Notre Dame could be fifth if they get these, you know, what the five guys that we talked about in segment one or some combination of them. Um but it's going to be a challenge. So ultimately, I think that the losing record killed him. Uh, and so if there's something Brian Kelly could have done differently, he would have you know, a better job in the previous nine months. Um, I don't think there was a whole lot of recruiting moves or visits he could have made or offers that could have been put out or bells or whistles, like all that stuff, I, I don't think would have made a difference. I, he probably could have done a better job of keeping the, the staff in a cohesive mode, although... That's difficult to do when you're getting rid of half of them, right, I right. guess. When you know you want to blow it up. Yeah. Can you cohesively um, blow up your staff? Yeah. I mean, Probably I, not. I, I thought there could have been a little more chemistry during that period, but so many things were going wrong, starting with what you say, Pete, 4 and 8, that there they are. Chuck Darnay, another recruiting question. What's the word on Jalen Harris? Any chance for a steal here? Uh, I'd say a small chance. Uh, I mean, he's an Arizona legacy where he's committed right now. Uh, and he visited Washington over the weekend, which was in the college football playoff last year and has a great reputation of developing high, very high-end defensive prospects. So I would say that Notre Dame probably enters its official visit running running third. Um, I believe Brian Pulling's been out to visit him. But, I mean, look, this is the kind of body type I wish Notre Dame signed two of every year. You know, we are 6'3", Six four, six five, and 210, 230 pounds. And see what you got. 
a few years down the road. So it's that's going to be a very difficult one. Um, there are some slight Midwest connections just because his dad played in the NFL, but overall this is this, this will be a tough turn, I think, for Notre Dame among the flips that uh, could potentially come. B.L. Casburn, you feel the bigger problem, especially last year, was more coaching and training, personal player investment, lack of care in the weight room, fill room, etc. All of it. Yes, it's, everything it, is it, the answer. It's usually it's more than one, one thing. Right, it's usually more than one thing, and in this case it's everything, because you hear, I remember talking to Mike Elston about how well prepared they are in the spring for, in terms of watching film nowadays, you don't have to come in and watch film, right. even though that's the phrase used. It's loaded, the day's practice is loaded to each player's iPad, then he says it's up to them to watch it. A guy like Niles Morgan watches it all the time, a guy like Greer Martini does, who knows who else does it's player investment. It is clearly coaching. Obviously, since they overhauled strength and conditioning, it was strength and conditioning. And Drew Tranquil talked to Pete about lack of attention in the weight room. Yeah, I mean, this is you four and eight for a team, a program like Notre Dame coming off a ten win season is everything. It's not because some guys weren't clutch in the fourth quarter. It's, it's never one thing, especially in a game as complex as football. But I would have to point to coaching first here because. How many times have we said it? Brian Van Gorder was main, was retained. Uh, game one, wrong approach. I mean that that's about that's the ultimate bad coaching start to the season, right there. And I mean, you look at the first month. Uh, you know when they're one and three, I, I I would have to point to coaching first. Yeah, I mean. When you say it's everything, because if it was just one thing, they would have gone eight and four. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really <laughs> took all those things to go yeah, wrong right. for them to go four and eight. It was it was just a collection of mistakes. And I mean, that, we had some Twitter questions about the weight room changes and how that's going to change. I mean, other than an emphasis on injury prevention, I'm not sure that I hear the str- I hear they're bigger and stronger. Yeah, already. I mean that's <laughs> you you. And I, think, I hear they make great continue, strides in a week. You'll continue to hear that on message boards uh, throughout the next nine months. Um, but I mean, I, I, other than injury prevention and you know, sort of having a better understanding of what makes guys tick and not from the second they arrive on campus because they're doing motion capture and investing in range of motion analysis and things like that. The, the toughness and grit and heart and other buzzwords that you say in a deep, gravelly tone to sound good, I, that that I don't think is, is as nearly as relevant as that, you know, the injury prevention. Aspect. Yeah, you know, there, there are a lot of questions, and I, and I completely understand we all have the same questions, but there are a lot of questions that we're simply not going to be able to really have a firm grasp what the answer is. Until September, or certainly at least until we get some glimpse of spring practice. Yeah, that's and and I do think this spring is be pretty competitive in terms of with with new coordinators in. There, oh, yeah. There's not much it's of a, a pecking order right now when you're no, coordinating. It's a, it's I mean, a, that's the one good. Slate. That's the one good thing about having that bad of a year. There, there is a zero percent approach by Brian right. Kelly and anyone underneath him. Like this is going great. Look, this is what we do. We're going to win because we have these guys. And Deshaun Kaiser saying to us we got to go back to this. We should have lowered our prediction by two wins at this point. When he said our identity is we don't have one, I should have left that press conference and just changed it from 9-3 and three to 8-4. and four. <laughs> And I still would have been way off. But yeah. I just don't yeah, understand that. A lot. I've been a lot closer. 1988 champs. Can you list a non-starter at every position group that you think could become a main starter this year? Who set the breakout this year? Uh, I mean, can I... Can I count Alize Jones in there? Uh, that's uh, my first okay. choice. Um, you know, let's <laughs> go Alize Jones, 
Dexter Williams, uh, Liam Eichenberg. I have him starting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Not, yeah, 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 you would be high on my list. Um, defensively, I, th- I don't I, know if that's harder or easier on defense. Yeah, no, I throw out Jalen Elliott because we that's we kind of suspect a, a Drew Tranquil position change, perhaps. So Jalen Elliott with a guy that got that. Would, I mean, he was on he was on goal line against Texas in overtime in uh, you know first game of the year. So. You want to mention El- the the move to Tranquil is to the, the new rover position to for Elko, not speculative. Yeah. Yes, at this point. Yeah. Uh, who else? I'm trying to go deeper because I think Alizé Jones will start and. One of Eichenberg and Kramer is going to start. So Dexter Williams would be a guy that he won't start over Josh Adams, but maybe can if Josh Adams averages 18, can Williams average 10 instead of 5. You know, that that's mm-hmm. Josh Adams is going to start unless there's an injury. Yeah, um, You know, if our, our wide, the wide receivers, the three of us look at, you're figuring, you know, EQ and Stepperson and Alizé Jones moves works his way in there along with Smythe. So Clay, and Claypool. Claypool, Claypool is the guy that can there. jump up there. Um, the deep, the the... Either Eichenberg or Kramer starts because that's just the way it's going to work out. That's where they need a player, and he's gonna he's gonna be in there. Uh, so can a guy? The weirdest one would be can Hodge one on one all spring, summer, and August beat out Mustafer? I wouldn't think they would do that, but but yeah. last year Harry Easton said he he had trouble winning because we were playing him guard and center. It was hard for him to overtake someone learning two positions. So that's the type of guy. I mean, he was a highly rated. Dalen Hayes. I mean, I think he'll yeah, start. He's my both, starter, though. Like, don't you think he'll just start? Mm. I'm trying to go. Like, I oh, assume Dalen Hayes don't will start. start at the beginning of the year, opposed to non-serve from last yes, year. Yes, yeah. I think Dalen Hayes is the starter. So I, I think you're looking for like the Elijah Taylors and Bonners, and can they yeah. jump up? Kareem. Yeah, that's a good Ooh, one. Would be, would be another one. It'd be interesting. Yeah. It's, How about uh, mine is Nick Watkins? I think will win the starting job. Yeah, I would, Julian I would agree with that. It may be a year early for Ogundeji, but I think that that's a guy that... I mean, when you looked at high school film of Ade Ogundeji, and I'm probably not saying his name correctly because we all say it differently, <laughs> and Notre Dame has a pronunciation that's completely different from that, but we'll learn that in time. Um, he was, you know, I mean, he, he was undersized and needed development, but he was a guy that had great get-off off the edge, and I... It might be too early for him. It might be more 2018. I heard the new strength and conditioning coach is perfect for him, too. I read that the other day. <laughs> <laughs> and he's made great strides yes. in a week. Yeah. Just, they're bigger and starters. of muscle all of a sudden. He's now, we're, 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 ma- we're making fun. But, but, uh, you know, we, we're all curious, uh, but it takes time. We didn't mention it, it, Julian It's Aquara. a process. Yeah, it's Ju- a process. Julian Aquara is a guy that yes. played a lot last year in yeah. the beginning and then disappeared forever, and now I assume he'll be back in the fray. It's something the defensive line is the place to look for guys that you are not starting now or, or won't start day one in the spring and could be starting. Yeah, I mean, a lot. Before we started recording, we were joking that Notre Dame has eight really good second team defensive linemen. From that group, four have to emerge as starters and they have to be good for Notre Dame to be good. Um, and we just don't really know who those guys are going to be. It's going to be, uh, I think, a pretty fascinating position battle there. Mr. Stuller, tis the season of committed recruits flip-flopping. I'm curious of what previous Notre Dame commits in the Kelly era turned out to be studs at other schools, vice versa as well. What Notre Dame players were flipped from other schools that turned out to be studs for the Irish? I know Tuit uh, was one of them previously yeah. committed to Georgia Tech. This is right in O'Malley's wheelhouse. <laughs> He's got a list of 75 people. Uh, I have a bigger <laughs> I have a bigger list. Pete and I were just talking about this right before. I have a bigger list of guys that Notre Dame flipped that worked out. The guys that flipped away from Notre Dame, like Vanderdose, obviously, would have been a very big help. Uh, Anzalone, 
Alex Anzalone, who I loved coming through, would have been a big help. Then you're going, well, Giovanni Bernard was a great running back. Yeah. Um, and Elijah Hood was a great running back. Pete, you had a couple other guys that are fringe starters elsewhere. Yeah, Richard Jurgen, you know, would he be playing at Notre Dame? I think absolutely he'd be in the rotation. Yeah. I mean, there's no question about that. Um, you know, Man- for Clemson. Yeah. yeah, it's like he's a rotational guy at Clemson. You know, Vanderdose, who we talked about all the time, you know, that obviously he would have been really important to Notre Dame. Um, you know, beyond that, you know, Blake Barnett was felt like a huge loss when it happened. Now it really doesn't. Um, only because they got Brandon Wimbush, who was a flip from Penn State. Um, Notre Dame certainly has benefited more from flips than they've gained more than they've lost. Um, you could throw Aaron Lynch in that group if you yeah. wanted, because he was Florida State for a minute. Um, Golson. Golson would be one. Will Fuller would be one. Uh, Drew Tranquil would be one. Um, that one I completely forgot about as I was going over this question this morning. It's like, he couldn't possibly have been a Purdue commitment. Could he have been? I'm like, yeah, he was. Max, um, Red, Max Redfield was USC. Yep. There's, uh, there has been a ton of... Um, Troy Pride was Virginia Tech at one point. But it's like, I think uh, Ashton White might have been Virginia Tech at one point. It's... It, it seems to be the way of recruiting yeah, more, today. Yeah, more and more as we commit, get further along. It's like if you commit as a sophomore, which I which I get, because the guys are committing earlier, which are even less mature and less informed. Not to say that you're actually that informed when you make a decision as a high school senior, but think about making that two years earlier. Of course you're going to have right, a second right. thought about that. Uh, and <sighs> so it's like those commitments... It feels like they, they you, those are flipping 50% of the time. Can almost. you imagine being a sophomore at Marion High School and making Committing a verbal it. commitment <laughs> to play a sport? At, now, had Notre Dame offered me at, at, during yeah. my sophomore year of high school, yeah, I would have jumped off, yeah. but I am I'm Well, let's say exception. you committed to Purdue, and then Notre Dame and Michigan offered you. I mean, you're not going to be as committed to Purdue, right? right? Exactly. Yeah, it's just and, I mean, in so many instances, <laughs> Richard Jurgen is from Florida. Blake Barnett is from California. Troy Pride is from South Carolina. Will Fuller is from Philadelphia. They're not at Marion High School. Yeah, no, you know? exactly, exactly. It's, it's like Notre Dame is a is a almost but, a world away, literally in their mind. But when you said sophomore, I I briefly went back to my frame of mind as a yeah. sophomore, and that is utterly ridiculous. That is a whole other Utter, podcast. Utterly, yeah, <laughs> utterly ridiculous to consider that. Of of all the guys that you mentioned, and there's yeah, some really good ones. That's in there. true. College Elijah Hood. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah I mean, I was, really I was stupid as a college sophomore, let alone a high school sophomore. <laughs> Elijah Hood is a guy that I I really regretted Notre Dame losing him because that's your power running back, and uh, it, things could have been a whole lot differently with the consistency of Notre Dame's ground game. Yeah, I mean, some other names are like, oh, I forgot that guy existed. Danny Mattingly, who ended up at Oregon. Jamel James, who was at Texas State for a minute. Um They've had certainly more. Deontay Greenberry was a big national signing day. The day of. It was mess. a big deal. Um, there was a lot of bitterness that day in the auditorium. <laughs> yeah, that was not a happy place to no, be. No, <laughs> no. That was a, you know, a very sour national signing day here. You know, it's and they had some flips too. Kona Schwenke was committed to BYU. I sort of forgot about that. Danny Spahn was committed to TCU at one point. Um, Luke you know, Massa. Luke Massa was at Cincinnati for a minute. It's, uh, and I think you. Pete Mockle was, a, I think, a Rutgers commitment at one point. And when you have staff changes and you're coming off a rough season, 
If you're looking for guys yeah. in January, Daniel Cage. Daniel Cage yeah. was. I don't know if he ever was he committed. not committed. He was, well, I think it was between Michigan State. I don't know if he Notre ever Dame. committed okay. to yeah. Michigan State. All right, well, that's why I stayed out. But it's like, <laughs> there, I don't know. it's like when you're trying to get on guys late, and ninety percent, eighty-five percent of guys are committed. You're going to be running into committed guys eighty-five percent yeah. of the time. And you just look at the guys who visited last weekend. Rust Yeast is committed to Louisville. He was formerly committed to. Kentucky. Trey Norwood was committed to Louisville. Now he's on the market. Jordan Gemarkeith was is committed to Cal. Kofi Wardlow is committed to Maryland. So you're those are the kind of guys you're going after at this point. Jalen Harris. We Jalen Harris, Arizona. We didn't say Chris Martin. Oh, Chris Martin. <laughs> he was everywhere. <laughs> he was. I think that's why it's like, I'm not sure he was committed to anywhere and everywhere at the same time. Right, yeah, that's true. I don't know if he was ever actually at all those places. Cal commitment at one point. Chris Martin. Yeah, and then Kansas and Florida, Florida, Florida. maybe for a minute. Yeah, um, yeah that was that was a good one. Um, so, yeah, there will be there will be a handful of flips more in the next week. We will cover all that on uh, next week's Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. We'll be back Monday to wrap up. Another round of official visits, some more hoops, some really interesting hoops with Virginia on Tuesday. Uh, and then, of course, we'll do a bunch of national signing stuff after the fact, too. So, I don't know. Any, if you don't, guys, if you guys don't have any final closing uh, Monday, notes. Monday and Thursday of next week because it's national yeah, signing day absolutely. Wednesday. Yep. Absolutely. That's it for uh, this edition. Irish Illustrated Insider, we're out. Don't judge an apple by looking at the tree.